Hey, good afternoon. This is Jeremy with the uh, Christmas Tree Farming Podcast, uh, located here in central Kentucky at Sissel's Christmas Tree Farm. Uh, I'd like to start this episode. I, I realize I never give any shout outs to anybody that I I watch or kind of take a little bit of inspiration from, and just thank guys that make videos. Uh, Tony Stefani always he's on YouTube. I uh, catch all of his videos, and, you know, I really appreciate uh, what he does. And most of his videos I've watched at least two times, and they're all very helpful, doing a lot of the same things that we're doing here. So it's good to see what other people are doing. And, you know, it re- helps reinforce what you're doing. Maybe he's doing the things right, or maybe they're doing something different and something to try. Also, Rob Flanagan is on YouTube, and, you know, uh, he does a whole lot of things. Some of it's Christmas trees and all the stuff that he posts is, uh, very useful. And I appreciate him keep, keep keeping that going. Um, well, it's almost the end of May. I'm a little bit early on this one. Uh, but I had some time, so I feel, I feel like it was time to do it. Uh, looking at my notes, uh, we, we got everything planted that we intended to get planted, uh, in in spring, I know maybe in my previous podcast I didn't I didn't highlight that, and I did have one person reach out and ask me, you know, when we plant. Um, but yeah, no, we get everything planted in March and April here. Um, we um, we don't plant anything in May, and if we do, it would be the first week in May. Um, but everything here, really, I'm trying to get in the ground in March. Um, saying that to say, we begin mulching our new, we mulch, um, and we began mulching our newly planted, uh, trees, uh, in May. And basically what I do is with the help of my, my sons and my wife, mainly my sons, my wife's busy doing other things right now. I'll get a scoop in the front end loader on the tractor and I'll drive down the middle of two rows and each son has a, a large flat shovel that holds a pretty good scoop and they'll take a scoop and then dust it over the tree ceiling so that it, you know, we're covering all the way around it. Uh, and typically one big scoop is all that we need per seedling. Uh, sometimes I have to get on them, you know, make them put a little bit more cause they don't get a full scoop, but that's how we do it. Uh, last year was using a lot of five gallon buckets and doing a half a bucket, but it, uh, was a lot more labor intensive and this method seems to work just, just fine. So that's what we're doing right now. We're finishing up. I still have about a dozen rows left to mulch. So that means six more passes, but, uh, the weather's not been great. It's been, it's been great for trees. It's sunny for a little while, then rainy, then sunny, then rainy. So trees are growing good and grass is growing even better but uh not been a great opportunity to get mulch in there because i don't want to tear my fields up rutting up the fields with my tractor um we talked about last week i ordered the irrigation kit or i guess last month Uh, i got the overhead irrigation kit installed in my high tunnel and it works great uh, I feel dumb for not getting it right away and 
the, the time savings is uh, is great. So just to recap on that, uh, I think I, I got the irrigation kit from a company called Farmer's Friend, and it's a overhead irrigation kit. It basically comes with, you can probably, and I know you can, you could buy all the pieces individually for probably 30% less cost, you know, uh, but good for them for making an entire kit for people like me that didn't want to figure it out all up front. But it's a one inch main line pipe. It's actually pre-punched uh, every two to three feet. I don't know exactly how far apart the pre-punches are. And you have leads that come down. And then at the end of the lead is a uh, drip preventer and a sprinkler. It's a spin net sprinkler. Uh, don't I don't know the real sp good specifics on it. There's several different kinds you can get for the size and spray diameter and all that. And I just went with the general consensus, whatever they most people buy. That's what I bought. I will say it works really good. Uh, have a four zone timer set up in the high tunnel. I have uh, with that kit. I because my high tunnel is only 80 feet, and we're really only using about 70 feet of the 80 that kit was for 110 feet i had enough sprinklers and leads to run on the other side of my high tunnel i didn't have enough one inch mainline pipe but i did have three quarter inch mainline pipe left over from last year's uh drip irrigation for the for the seedling field and so i just used that and uh it works just as good. Obviously, the one inch has a little bit higher pressure. You could probably put more sprinklers on the one inch side. But uh, I have, so basically one side of the, I have this thing set up to run uh, early in the morning and the zone one is the right side of the high tunnel, runs for 20 minutes. Zone two, the left side of the high tunnel runs for 20 minutes. And then currently zone three, which is, the raised beds, like vegetable stuff my wife has in the back, uh, it runs uh, at nighttime for 20 minutes. So roughly an hour's worth of water. And um, first few days I checked it to make sure it was all good, leaking, it was working. Uh, but now I just walk through every day just to, just to test the bottoms of pots and stuff just to make sure things are getting enough water and it's it's working perfectly, so I feel foolish for not getting it right away. It works great. Um, as I said previously, I end, I plan to add an additional zone outside with some mainline tubing that would be on the ground and then run some drip emitters into some larger some larger pots that we have yet to, to fill out. But this fall, I'm sure I'll be up potting some one-gallon stuff into some three- to five-gallon stuff, and we will... We will put that out there. I'm still just not 100% on things being okay outside the high tunnel in wintertime. And a, a brief tangent on that. Um, I had fall planted some spruce trees. Um, and we got, we got winter heave on those spruce trees. These were... Um, these were not seedlings. These were greenhouse Anderson band pots, I guess you could say. Not it, it actually wasn't an Anderson band. It's like one size smaller than the Anderson band. Anyway, two or three rows, you know, heaved. 
and these and these spruce trees were just you know for for the last part of winter just kind of up on the ground you know I, I fully intended them to be dead this spring um so some sometime late mid late february we 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 noticed that these were heaved out of the ground we planted them back fully intending for them all to die well not one died we had three rows that heaved all the trees were heaved out of the ground laying on top of the ground for probably six weeks in the winter coldest part of the winter replanted them and they lived so i would say definitely any of the spruce varieties are fine outside in pots uh the fir i'm not so sure about so we're, we're going to do a, a slight test with some of the firs uh and then up pot the up pot the spruce trees and put them out you know um they're for landscape trees uh anyway they're not for our planting or, or for christmas trees uh, but the spruce varieties that we have you know they're obviously way more resilient to the cold weather at least here than the fir trees I feel like the fir trees at least with our experience with the canines dying uh, they're a little bit more picky on the cold weather um we're mowing weekly now uh i'm noticing the johnson grass rhizomes are sprouting now as well um so the pre-emergent that we lay down is definitely working the rows in between the rows or i guess say in the rows those are looking dead that's looking good not a lot of weeds coming up in rows not a lot of not a lot of grass or johnson grass coming up in rows but we do have some coming up and the way that kind of works guys if you don't know you kill it off in the fall in the pre-spring pre-emergent uh keeps it keeps the seed weeds from coming up but if you have some rhizomes that you didn't kill off all the way in the fall they're still alive in the ground and they will still emerge from the ground and your pre-emergent can't do a thing about it right so um right now i'm just waiting for a break in the rain i need a couple days i need a day for it to dry out or so for i can drive my tractor um but we're going to mix up a tank a clethodim um and a so it's basically just clethodim and and crop oil so we get a good stick on it and we're going to be spraying the rows over the top of the trees to get this to get this johnson grass area areas kind of under control that's probably one of our worst things that we have here is the johnson grass and if you've never had it you have to smash it out because um, it will it comes up in pockets and it's really hard to control once it gets to a certain height it, it gets really rough so that's what's coming up next is uh we're going to spray everything with clethodim uh also i bought a um a dewalt 20 volt battery backpack sprayer to do touch-ups and i used it the other day i had i think i mentioned i had some rows that i couldn't use the pto sprayer because the spruce had already flushed out um fresh growth and the turkish fur had already flushed out um fresh growth so i 
used the backpack sprayer. I didn't mention it. I just said we used the backpack sprayer. But I wanted to give a little mini review on that. That DeWalt 20 volt is uh, a great backpack sprayer. I mean, I've only used it once. But you can dial up the pressure like 1 to 10. And I think I set mine on like 4 or 5. And I went... And this just shows that, you know, people make mistakes and don't even realize you're making mistakes because that backpack sprayer with the hand pump, I would go through four-gallon backpack every two to three rows. And I, I thought that was fine. Well, I used the four-gallon backpack and almost covered an entire acre because it's got the flow, I guess, is regulated. You know, the PSI on the backpack, you're not sitting there over pumping it and, and laying it, laying down more material. So I was obviously wasting, you know, five times the material that I actually needed to lay down. I got the same kill out of the backpack sprayer, but it went way further. So, you know, word of the wise guys, if you're using a hand pump backpack sprayer, I guess try to calibrate it so that you're getting whatever you expect to get out of it. And I can just say four gallons and a backpack sprayer. Now this is just spot spraying. Okay. This isn't every single row, just holding the button down the whole time. But I got, you know, I got 12, 15 rows done, um, spot spraying. And this is pretty heavy spot spraying off one backpack. So definitely some advantages in that, but the battery operated with the dial, to, to hone in on your spray over the manual pump just so you don't over pump it uh also pull also pulled uh soil samples from fields three and four fields three and four are the next two years worth of fields just to see where they're at as a baseline i would anticipate that they're very similar to what fields one and two were when we originally got those prior to putting any amendments down I would say they need uh, a lot of phosphorus and they need sulfur. I would be my, that would be my guess right now that the pH is natively around seven. Um, like I said, we mowed, mowing all the time now. Everything's looking pretty good. Um, all of the trees in the fields are flushing out now. Uh, the ones that were really healthy have com almost completely flushed out. They look really nice. Some of them, they're a little bit transplant shocked that we talked about earlier. They're now starting to flush out a little bit. So they're starting to look better than they have looked for a while uh, from, from last year, you know, getting transplant shocked in fall from a bad, you know, supplier there that had a little bit of a bad deal on some of their crop. Um, last thing I want to talk about is varieties. There's been just a few discussions about varieties and i guess a lot of christmas tree farmers are interested in and what variety you're using and why right and everybody say everybody i don't get that many calls or emails but the ones that i do get a lot of times is what they're asking is i live here and you know what would you recommend for a variety and i usually lead off by saying i don't know like i the only the only I'm not learning how to grow trees on my property. I'm learning how not to kill them, right? So I think that's the, 
everybody's advice. I, I can tell them, I, I don't know exactly how to grow trees on your farm, but what I am learning on my own farm is how not to kill them. Um, so the ones that live, they live and I learn things. Uh, maybe at one, at one time in the, in the future, I'll learn how to grow them. But right now I'm just learning how not to kill them. Um, variety, I think, this is my own personal opinion. I think variety is very subjective to what the individual grower likes. Um, not necessarily what the people would buy as a Christmas tree. And I know this because uh, I like everybody else, like to grow a fir tree. Uh, but I have visited a Christmas tree farm and all they grow is Murray Cypress. And all they grow is the, there's another variety. I think there's a, it's Murray Cypress, which is a dark green. And then there's a, maybe it's an Arizona Cypress that is the light blue. And they sell all their trees every year. And they're, they're only 60 miles from me. And they don't even grow a fir tree. And no one ever complains. So I think people need to also think about that, that you grow, a lot of people want to grow a really nice Fraser fir and they waste a lot of time trying to grow that and then it doesn't work out and then they quit and I wouldn't quit I would I would definitely experiment with several varieties and species some that you like and some that other people like um, and just see what does does the best that's what I've done that's what I'm continuing to do um, we have started at one place with tree varieties and we're ending with another place and that's still not complete. I, I know for a fact there's going to be areas on my, on my farm that I am definitely going to have to plant either white pine or some, or some type of Murray cypress or Leland's or, you know, something that that's, that's definitely coming. I'm just planting in the best areas now, but I'm going to run out of room in the best areas. And I'm going to have to plant some of these lower lying areas and areas that aren't the best. And, and I know that I'm going to have to plant some less desirable varieties by me, but probably not less desirable by customers uh, based on how other people are doing around me. I plant and I had a talk on Facebook with somebody, um, Everywhere I can, I put in a canane fir. I don't even, we never tried Frasers. There is a farm less than an hour from me that grows all Frasers. And again, we're in Kentucky. Uh, he grows Frasers, exclusively Frasers. Uh, has a, a coveted seed source and grows them and they're all beautiful. And he does great with it. Everyone else around us tries canane fir and that's what I try. And if the canane, I put it in in spring or fall, and if it dies or it looks severely stunted after 18 months, I yank it and I put in a Nordman and or Turkish. I just have, I don't have a lot of Turkish. Um, and what I can say definitively on my farm is that if a canane won't grow, the Nordman and Turkish will. But there are even some areas where if I put in a 
a Nordman or a Turkish, and it also dies because the ground's too tight or just slightly even wetter, that I don't put anything back. Um, and then I have I have some areas where we're growing some spruce trees. Um, uh, I don't grow Norway spruces for Christmas trees, but we do grow we do grow Norways in pots here uh, to sell as uh, landscape windbreak trees. And I grow. We're experimenting with Meyer spruce as a Christmas tree, and uh, I, I, we've mentioned that before. Uh, I've I've actually met a couple gentlemen that grow Meyer spruce. One guy actually grows exclusively Meyer spruce, has been growing it for 30 years uh, as Christmas trees. They make beautiful Christmas trees. Needle retention's really good. Um, but as I mentioned previously, if your soil's not great, Meyer spruce is not like Norway. Norway Norway will grow out of a rock. Meyer spruce is way more way more finicky on the soil and and the biggest drawback of growing that Meyer spruce is it's heavy because it will take longer to grow. Where you might be able to flip a canane fir in six to seven years, and I'm seeing that in my fields now. My cananes are way bigger than my spruce, my, my Meyer spruce. Uh, you're going to need 10, 11 years to sell a seven, a seven, eight year uh, spruce, Meyer spruce tree. So, which matters up front, but does it matter in the long run as long as you keep it, you keep it separate, um, or you at least keep those rows separate, which is what I'm doing in my, in my plots. I almost have each one of my planting areas is really like, I have the, I have the, this section is the fir section and this section is the spruce section and fully knowing that that spruce section may not be ready when that fir section is available. So it's kind of a, this side ready when this side isn't and that's gonna make me a little bit of a problem in the future, I think, but uh, I'm fully considering opening up the back part of my property to just be in a different, you know, separate my varieties. But uh, only time will tell. Guys, that's all I got here. If, if anybody needs anything, uh, definitely feel free to drop me a line. Thank you.